This week, is this camping boom the end of the mom-and-pop affordable RV park? Plus, how to beat the heat in your RV. It's hot, y'all. This is RV Miles. This summer, L.L. Bean wants to help you feel great out there with gear tips and advice for heading outdoors and exploring all the possibilities of the season. Here's a game-changing tip for the beach. Bring a fitted sheet. As nice as a nap in the sun is, the sheet isn't for making up the bed. It's a smart way to keep sand off your beach towels. Since the corners of a fitted sheet naturally lift, all you need to do is add weighted objects to each corner, and you'll have a nifty pocket of space you can hang out in, sand-free. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com guide. Welcome to episode number 288 of RV Miles. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And we are two RVers who have been enjoying the RV life since 2016, crisscrossing North America on one epic road trip with our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry. Here at RV Miles, we talk all things RV and outdoors, from industry news to travel destinations, our national parks, so much more. And you can find all of it at RVMiles.com. Everybody, this is the final day of our full-time RV life. <laughs> it has been seven years, just about. We're um, actually we're going to end pretty much right at it was September first or August thirty-first that we launched. Uh, we moved out uh, on my birthday, August thirtieth. So six days shy of exactly seven years. So it's been a wild seven years, and um, we thank you all for all your support during this time. Again, we're going to have plenty of additional RV content, more RV content going forward. You sound like we're going to the grave. We're, we're not, not going we're, to the grave. We're, actually we're just very, doing something different. No, we're very excited about And we're going to kind of talk to, about this in our Detour podcast for Mile Marker Plus members. But we're just uh, kind of excited about the new types of content we can create for RVers, actually. Um, I'm excited about partnering with local dealerships and maybe being able to do some like rig tours and maintenance videos and things like that. It's going to be a a whole different lifestyle for us, a lot of fun, but we are looking forward to uh, already several trips next year. And we're, of course, looking forward to the homecoming event that is happening this October. And we still have just a couple spots available if you're interested in joining us in Amana, Iowa, October 4th through the 8th. Yeah, I think only four campsites are left. So it is going to be an amazing time. We are deep in the thick of planning it, but I can already tell you that there will be a team trivia night and that Jason will be hosting it. There will be a renaissance fair and Jason will be dressed as a wizard. That is happening. I've been scrolling Amazon Stop. looking for Don't wizard. Don't waste our money on a wizard costume because <laughs> I'm not going to wear it. That is the best money we could ever also, spend. Also, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot. It, it might be hot then, which is you know a, a month and a week from now. But well, there will be corn sweat, <laughs> so just 
prepare for. But speaking of hot, we should mention, I didn't realize you were going to drop the last day as full-time RVers in there. And I'm glad I'm wearing sunglasses today uh, because I am already kind of crying a little bit. It'll be the second time I've already yeah, cried well, today. Nobody, know, nobody will know if it's tears or sweat. It's cool. It's, so it's we not have... that hot yet. We, it's, no. it's, it's morning when we're recording here. Uh, we've, we're recording fairly early compared to what we normally do in order to <laughs> sort of beat the heat. Yeah. Today is going to be a little bit cooler than it has been here in the Minneapolis area. I think 88 is the high, 94 is the feels like, but it was 100 yesterday and 98 the day before. Yes, yeah, so it's our favorite word today. Our favorite word is moist. It's very moist. <laughs> yes, and it's it's very here. humid on top of that. Um, but we should say so you, you know, you did just say we are in Minneapolis, so we have made it back to the lower 48 we spent last week. There was no RV Miles podcast last weekend. You probably noticed it was absent from your feed or on YouTube. And that was because travel caught us. It hit us hard. We were exhausted. We had nothing that we could say or entertain you with last weekend. Well, I think we, we were also, so tired. We, the kids, surprisingly, were actually really great about these travel days. Oh, I mean, amazing. we had some incidents, but... But for the most part, they were like, you know, I'm good with going a little bit further today if you guys want to. Like, they were the ones kind of encouraging us to go further. So we did a a heck of a lot of travel days over the course of the last two weeks. Uh, And they uh, were longer travel days than we would normally do. We were doing 400 miles or or more on some of these days and that's not that's not common at all for us no and especially when you're going through it's summertime there's construction everywhere that's going to slow you down but also you may have noticed last week that we also did ourselves a huge disservice because why not we put out three videos on youtube last week two news videos and if you haven't gone to see it yet, the official walkthrough of our Ibex 20 BHS, but showing all of the really simple modifications that we made in there to get it ready for a family of five. So if you've been curious, like, what are you all doing in this tiny thing and how are you living in it? Which we are back to saying it is 25 feet. That has yeah. been confirmed. Yeah, so that... that w- so we're not as cool as I thought we were anymore. It is 25. We we actually got a tape measure out and measured. Yes. The, the label on it is actually wrong. So, so thank you to uh, an RV Miles community member for actually letting us know that they went directly to the source. They talked to Forest River and Forest River said, yeah, we've got it wrong on the stickers. So it is 25 feet. We are not living in 22 feet as I... What's the difference, really? Oh, potatoes, potatoes. Three feet can make all the difference in the world. Naturally, we are recording, so it will be time for either construction or lawn care yeah, to start here in the campground. Yeah, driving by. Uh, <laughs> so if you hear some background noise, that's the joy of being at a, um, a campground in the summer. So it has been hot. It continues to be hot. This campground that we were in when we pulled in, they told us that they had lots of cancellations mm-hmm. because of the heat. Again, as far up here as Minneapolis, we're experiencing 100-degree temps. Uh, so we thought today might be a good time to talk about 
some ways to alleviate the heat in your RV. A better time to talk about this would have been like a month and a half ago. Yeah, but or a month and a half ago, summer. we were in but Canada hey, and it was like... Pre-fall. Yeah, I mean, we were in Alaska. It was like 70 degrees. We weren't really... We, we, were not, we have not dealt with heat like this. Uh, even in Baja, because Baja was the winter. Yeah. I mean, we had some warm days. We have not dealt with heat like this since last summer. See, this is one of the things y'all are going to get when RV Miles isn't full-time RVing anymore. We're going to be a little bit more, not so much episodes influenced by what we're doing, <laughs> which is being in Alaska where it's 70 degrees and not thinking about heat. But maybe we'll be able to start putting some episodes together that are a little bit more uh, on the nose for you what's happening. Plan. Oh, you know? summer is coming. Let's talk about <laughs> heat <laughs> oh summer's coming let's go to alaska so we are looking forward to maybe putting curating some things for y'all that uh we know that not everyone's going to alaska where it's 70 degrees but that does not mean right now that the heat is going away i think we have noticed over the last couple of years especially that if you are camping further past that Labor Day, which, you know, Labor Day used to be like kind of the official end of the camping season. That is certainly not the case anymore. People are really starting to enjoy camping further into the year, experiencing those shoulder seasons, getting into winter camping. But if you are doing that, you're noticing probably that summer doesn't just stop because we all go back to school or the Labor Day holiday has happened. Summer does not really officially get out of here until, you know, around September 21st. So it's hot. It's staying hot. So if you are going to continue to camp and you're going to find yourselves like we did this week in 100 degree temps here in the Minneapolis area, we thought we would share just three top tips and then direct you over to an article that we have that will have seven, eight more of those for you to help keep you hopefully relatively cool when you're, you know, yeah. stepping outside and it feels like it's a sauna mixed with like an oven. It's pretty <laughs> the, awful. The first one is is related to using your air conditioner effectively. RV air conditioners uh, can be under a lot of stress and they cannot usually, unless you have multiple or if you have a very small rig, get your RV down to the same temperatures that you might like to have mm -hmm. in your home on these very, very hot days. It's often suggested that you only ask them to do about 20 degrees uh, of difference max. So if it's 100 degrees outside, you might want to set it at 80 degrees. And that sounds awful, but trust me, if it's 100 <laughs> degrees outside, that 80 degrees is going to feel wonderful. And no. the reason for that is is the, the condenser uh, and the fins can all freeze up into a solid block. And when that happens, well, then you got to wait for it to thaw. And that's no fun. That is absolutely we no fun. We actually had to do that the other day. Yes, we did. We've had to do that uh, once. It wasn't here in Minneapolis over the summer recently. We experienced, I think, uh, coming into Washington and into Canada, we had some pretty hot days. And for whatever reason, that air conditioner, first time ever in seven years, froze yeah. up and seized on us. So that was no fun. Uh, the other tip we want to recommend, too, is that, like Jason said, you want to do some maintenance on the, R the air conditioner. And that means just, you know, taking off that cover and checking that mesh um, filter. Yeah, it's, that, in there. it's just a, you rinse it off, wipe it off. It's a plastic filter usually. Sometimes some of you might have a, a better filter on yours, but those need to be cleaned very regularly. Like yeah, every few weeks, like a lot of dust gets in those. Whatever the filter is, pull it out. 
give it a good rinse, put it back in there. Do that for both of your units. Don't just do it for what you might consider your main unit. Go and do it for both if you have two air conditioners. And also don't forget to check the outside as well. Yeah, you want to actually remove the shroud off of your air conditioner on the roof. It's real easy to do, I promise. There's usually four screws on top and you just pull that shroud off and then you need to clean off those fins because they just get caked with stuff. And if they are, your air conditioner is not operating efficiently at all. And you're probably saying, but Jason, I did all of this when I did my uh, pre-camping season maintenance, like when I dewinterized the rig. Well, you've been using the air conditioner probably a decent amount since you did that. So it's always just a good idea. This is just general maintenance throughout the season as you're using the rig. Especially if there's been lots of like pollen or cottonwood, stuff like that, that might gum up inside there. That cottonwood is just the bane of my existence. Uh, Just there's nothing that sets my allergies off like a good cottonwood tree. All right. The final suggestion. It's going to be 100 degrees. It's going to feel like 110. The humidity is off the charts. It is just miserable. Consider just getting out for the afternoon. Actually leaving the campground, leaving the rig, that's going to not only give, you can get that AC set up to maybe a little bit higher temp. You're going to give your air conditioners a bit of a break, but you yourself are going to get a bit of a break as well. Go find a coffee shop or a museum, some sort of indoor activity that you enjoy. We took the kids to a water park And we enjoyed what has really been kind of like something we've not done a lot of this summer. We have done, in fact, we've done two water parks in the last two weeks because we finally have been somewhere where A, that was an option, but it was hot enough that you wanted to go. So we found an indoor water park yesterday. It was a great way to get out of the rig, get out of the rig in the afternoon, just kind of take a break from it all, have a good time, come back. It was evening, the sun had set. It was much cooler, much more enjoyable for us and for the kids. And you don't need to spend money. You can go walk a mall. You can go sit at a library. Uh, Lots of different ways that you can get out of the heat for free. I hear that Minneapolis has a very big mall. You could yeah. possibly go yeah. walk around so that So does one. Edmonton. But and so does Edmonton so that, and Alberta. That's for another day. <laughs> but that is for another day. So those are just three really simple tips that you can do right now if you know that all of a sudden you're finding yourself caught in some super hot weather, but you still want to camp. We have 11 tips total to kind of help beat the heat. They're really easy. I'll put them in the show notes, which will be at rvmiles.com slash 288, and you can go check them out for yourself. We don't have tips for beating the flies, though, which uh, we are not used to. We we had plenty of mosquitoes up in Alaska and Canada. (sighs) We had very few flies. Now we're in Minnesota, and whoo, there's flies. So many flies. (laughs) We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we want to talk about campgrounds and this explosion in the campground industry of what I like to call these super resorts uh, that have been just buying up lots and lots of small campgrounds and what that means for us and you as people who might want to at least sometimes book an affordable campground. What does that even mean anymore? (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by the Park Wolf app. Ever found yourself in the heart of a national park surrounded by beauty, but unsure where to go or what to see? That's where ParkWolf comes in. ParkWolf is the ultimate app for exploring national parks. As you drive, the GPS shows you what's coming up on the road, and an audio guide will fill you in on what's there, so you can decide if it's worth a stop for you or not. Gas running low, looking for a bite to eat or a bathroom break? 
ParkWolf's got you covered. It keeps track of the nearest gas station, restrooms, food, and pullover areas. And the best part, it works without an internet connection. And if you're a wildlife enthusiast, you'll love ParkWolf's wildlife maps and sighting notifications. So before you set off on your next national park adventure, download the ParkWolf app for your iPhone from the App Store. It's your ultimate guide to national parks. Chances are you've seen them on the road. That's because Blue Ox designs and manufactures the best towing products in the industry. Just look around. You'll find them on highways and campgrounds and anywhere you find people traveling in the great outdoors. Award-winning tow bars, base plates, and brakes. A full line of weight-distributing hitches. Adjustable ball mounts and a new line of fifth-wheel hitches. With Blue Ox, towing doesn't have to be a drag. To learn more about how Blue Ox can make your travel adventures even more stress-free, visit blueox.com. We are back, and before we get into talking about RV Super Resorts, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the America's National Parks podcast and give you an update on what's going on over there. This week, the episode is on the sort of secret spy history of Catoctin Mountain Park. And this is one of those weird National Park Service units that doesn't have like an official designation like National Monument, National Historical Park. It's one of the ones in the other category. You might know this better as the home to Camp David, the presidential retreat. And it's still a place that you can go visit. You can't, you can't visit the, the presidential retreat portion, <laughs> but you can visit the rest of the park. And this park has a really, really interesting history from World War II. It was the original training camp for the OSS, which was the predecessor to the CIA. So in this episode, uh, it talks a lot about uh, all the different sorts of training uh, facilities that they built there, including like a haunted house and like like the very stereotypical like gun range with paper mache people that pop up <laughs> at you and stuff like that. And did you know like some of the members of the OSS in those days in the World War II were just some really famous people like movie director John Ford, who, you know, some of the biggest Western movies of all time. Julia Child was a member of the I OSS. Was, what? Julia Child. Yeah. Wow. So I really found this story interesting. We hope you'll check out the America's National Parks podcast if you haven't. It's available on any podcast app and make sure you subscribe to it and you know, share it with your friends if you find episodes that you like. We had a, a really good friend of uh, mine from high school just went on a big road trip with her family and they downloaded a bunch of episodes related to the places that they were going to visit and listen to them on the road trip. And we try to size them. They're about 20 minutes, 15 minutes each to be really convenient for that type of thing. So uh, really hope you check it out. We'll put a link to it all in the show notes. Yeah. So rvmiles.com slash 288 for everything Jason just talked about. But thank you for doing that because it's a, a really amazing way to help kind of support us here and what we're doing. And then uh, it, it just means the world to us when you all go out and share and rate things like that. Just truly, thank you so much. So let's uh, transition back over to RV chatting for a second. And I brought this up to you. Actually, we kind of uh, detoured a little bit away from what we were going to talk about this week as we were driving home last night from the water park. Because I said to you, you know, that news video that you put out a couple weeks ago really got a lot of people talking and it really sparked, I think, something that's on all of our minds as RVers. And that is 
the rise of what you called, I think, the super resort or the the mega RV resort. And is this really kind of the end of the mom and pop campgrounds? And is this kind of supporting the trend that's allowing even some of our state parks to continue to raise their rates? Like, are we getting to a point where RVing is no longer what it should be? And that is something that is accessible to all peoples, to anyone who wants to spend time outdoors, they should be able to go camping. And they should be able to do it in a way that doesn't say, I can only afford $20, so that means I have to go stay at this awful campground that no one's taking care of because nothing is going to turn you off to camping more than just feeling like you've paid for something that nobody cares about. Yeah, so. and there's, there's, uh, of course, there are, we like to go to some of these super resort type places sure. every now and then. Uh, it's not something we can afford to do for every night of camping that we do, but we like that they exist. the The concern is uh, whether they're taking over campgrounds that. Uh, otherwise were more affordable. So there is uh, this trend going on, and I talked about this in, in depth of the, in this video, where these corporations that are that either specialize in RV resorts or are often sort of like planned communities, companies that build like golf course communities or uh, these large condo developments uh, and, and sort of neighborhood developments like that, have really gotten into this RV park building phenomenon. And part of the reason they have done this is because they almost see it as as rent-free land. You know, they can buy up this land, they can build on it. They're, they're spending a lot of money to build on on these grounds. You know, there might be spending $20 million or more to build some of these resorts, but it's relatively low risk for them because even with all the infrastructure that they put in, if the RV industry goes south, uh, if people stop buying RVs, people stop going RVing, they can always put park models on and rent them out as homes, or they can mm-hmm. uh, turn it into sort of like a high-end manufactured home park. They could bulldoze the sites and leave the pool and and resort buildings and put in condos. This video garnered more comments than than most of our videos do and and our videos uh, those news videos get a lot of comments so when we saw this and we're referencing it was the august 13th video over on the rv miles youtube channel so if you haven't seen it you want to go over and watch it or read some of the comments uh please do but when we saw that we realized that this is really something that is is striking a nerve touching a nerve with a lot of people a, a lot of us that are that are RVing whether we've been doing it for years and years and years or we just started doing it this is really a hot topic right now yeah and with inflation uh, comes prices rising for everything uh, but with the boom in RVing which has been going on longer the, than the pandemic I have to say um, RVing really began to start to boom uh, around 2016, uh, and is only just beginning uh, to decline in sales a bit. But there's still all these people that own RVs, right, and that bought them during the pandemic, which certainly was an addition to that boom. But the the 
their issue is now, okay, we need more campsites. Mm-hmm. There, the campgrounds have been very full. They continue to be very full this year. Um, even if you're in a wonderful state park like this where it's actually sold out, but people aren't showing up because it's hot. Yeah. So a lot of the sites are empty. But that's a whole different episode. That's a whole different problem. But we need more campsites out there. Um, And a lot of the comments on this video were about, well, the market will take care of itself. If people want to book campgrounds that are affordable, they'll book campgrounds that are affordable. If people want to to book expensive ones, they'll book expensive ones. And the industry will build what what is the most uh, effective for them to build. And and we're talking like prices pushing past $200 now at this point in a lot of areas. But the the problem is this is not a free market situation because there is a limited amount of space to build campgrounds on and municipalities have not been allowing them to be built. There there yeah. have been, uh, I, you know, I troll through all the RV news dozens of times a week and there are so many instances of RV parks wanting to open in a community and that community not allowing it. Yeah, and I think that is also a whole other subject for another day. And that really gets at the heart of something yeah. we've been talking about, which is more RV consumer advocacy. There's just, there needs to be more of us advocating on behalf of the RVer. There's a lot of lobbying and advocating on behalf of the RV industry. But we really need now, given what we're seeing in these large mega resorts and the real big disparity now in what it costs to camp, we don't have, I think, a a checks and balance system where it's really keeping the RVer in mind. And I think that's really reflected in a lot of these comments. Now, we should say again, if you go back and listen to the San Diego episode from a few months ago, you are going to hear us sing the praises of the RV, Sun Outdoors RV Resort San Diego that we stayed at. We had a fantastic time there because that's what we wanted at that particular junction coming out of Baja what we wanted was we wanted all of the bells and whistles and that's exactly what we got and we loved it and you've heard us talk about how much we love Verde Ranch RV Resort outside of Sedona in Camp Verde Arizona we love it there we love the people that work there they're some of the nicest people out there so I really want to make it very very clear that we are not attacking and coming at these places I I am firmly in the camp that there should be a a healthy balance of all types of RV campgrounds. And that's the problem right now is that there's, there's just not. It's not that these resorts shouldn't be allowed to be built. It's that what happens because of this deficiency in space to build campgrounds is it is now become with the campgrounds filling up is now become financially feasible for these companies to come in and buy up smaller campgrounds with some more land campgrounds that might not have the money to do the expansion themselves so you got a 70 site family owned campground in in the mountains of the appalachians and uh they're sold out every night they want to expand they're not quite making that type of money Mm -hmm. they need to 
add more amenity in order to make more money. They need to add more amenities. They need to add more sites or they just want to get out of the business altogether and they Mm -hmm. see this as a good time to retire. So they sell to these corporations that then turn that into a 250 site resort with all the amenities that cost twice the price to stay at. So we, we gain more sites in the, in the inventory of campgrounds out there, but we lose affordable sites and the state parks and the national parks and all the federal agencies who have campgrounds who are actually the biggest operators of, of campgrounds. The federal government is the biggest operator of campgrounds in the world. Uh, they're not building them any faster either. There are few here and there are new state parks, uh, a few here and there new federal campgrounds. We hear about uh, a lot of them, a lot of the rundown ones being revamped a bit mm-hmm. um, and and prices raising there as well. Although I'm a little bit more okay with that because you know, that money is going back, but you ha- there's a, there's an interesting phenomenon in some areas too, where, you know, state park prices in particular are getting very expensive. And we've talked about uh, some areas where they even have laws where it's twice as expensive for somebody from out of state, for instance, and in some of the most popular yeah. Idaho state parks, you might be paying over $60 a night in, in some of those parks. So we're seeing that rise. But in a lot of these areas, there are actually laws in place that require them to not, not undercut businesses. So the state parks actually legally have to raise their prices in some of these areas to match what something comparable would be. Now, they're not usually full hookup, so they can cut down the price a little bit because of that, but but they have to raise prices legally in some areas. Well, and I think, again, this is where RV consumer advocacy really needs to come into place and needs to be stronger because I do believe that what some of these municipalities are missing one of the points that they're missing is that they need to have those numbers put in front of them as to what tourism revenue they can be looking at when they invest in a city park or a county park a county a city campground a county campground and what that will actually bring to the community yeah when you bring RVers into your community and I want to kind of shift I grabbed a few comments out of the video and I I want to get to this one because you brought up state parks and I did a little um did a little digging this morning on one of the comments that we had gotten and this person had mentioned um our annual trip to a oceanfront South Carolina state park comes to an end this year their weekend rates yes they have tiered pricing for a while now goes from $65 a night this year to $100 a night next year, including taxes. Very disappointing for a state park. They didn't mention which oceanfront state park this is in South Carolina. There are several. I decided to just go ahead and take a look at one that we had been to, which is Myrtle Beach. So we had been to Myrtle Beach State Park back in late May of 2019. Myrtle Beach State Park uh, offers both full hookup sites, tent sites, and partial hookup water and electric sites. It's a huge park. Uh, We stayed in site 241 at the time we were there in May of 2019. It was water. It was 30 amp electric. It was $40 a night. Currently right now, the last weekend of August in 2023, that same site is going for $60 a night. So in four years, the price has gone up for that particular site, $20, so about $5 a year. Uh, The full hookups 
in Myrtle Beach right now are currently $75 a night. This is a state park. Um, A few things to consider with this state park, though, is that they do have above and beyond amenities you generally do not find in a state park. That's going to be they do have Wi-Fi now. They do have laundry, although we've started to see that a little bit more in state parks. And they also have uh, right on site beach access. Uh, Of course, this is a really popular campground. There are a lot of state and uh, local parks that their intent is to find a place for people that want to visit that community. Yes. It's Myrtle Beach. I mean, it's not getting out into the middle of nowhere and being away from everybody. This is uh, this is a tourism some might say tourist trapped community. Yeah, I mean, Myrtle Beach is very much <laughs> yeah. along the lines of Pigeon Forge and Branson. I will make sure to link to that episode where we were at Myrtle Beach back in May of 2019 because we also went out and explored the community. But I think that that is, it is a point kind of going to what you were talking about where they can't undercut that community a little bit. So now you have this state park that is in, like you were just saying, a really touristy area. They also have, you know, I think it's from like, end of May until like October 1st or something, you have a particular time in this area where you cannot have your lights on in your campground because it's where the sea turtles are now coming in to lay their eggs for that year. And there's, you know, they have a whole lot of, it's a, a, quite an experience. A lot of people will come to the state park for uh, this event. And so, you know, I think you have to keep that in mind, but I just wanted to be honest, I kind of thought, Oh, Twenty dollars in four years for yeah. Myrtle Beach, given yeah. our current climate. That would have sound, seemed ridiculous back then. Now yes. it seems it seems normal. I mean, I remember when we stayed at our first Indiana State Park, Turkey Run, mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, many years ago, probably six years ago, and it was like forty five dollars total. With, yeah. with the taxes and everything. And we thought that was just insane. That that was the first time we had paid that much for a state park uh, ever. I do still sometimes think that that is yeah. insane. I mean, it was I'm, a really nice state it's park. It's a beautiful state park. <laughs> but I also sometimes think that the job of a state park or a federal park or a city or a county campground is to... That the community and that the people that they are serving should be at the heart of that and that that is why your prices should remain accessible to all who want to visit and all who live within your community. And when your state parks start getting to a point where they're competing with not only the private campgrounds, but they're competing in terms of amenities that they're offering. Yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope for me uh, because if I want laundry and Wi-Fi and a pool and all of these things, please just let me go to a lovely location like the Sun Outdoors in San Diego or the Verde Ranch. Please let me keep that access to nature, but still with the world's biggest sites because state parks, they love to give you a big site and I love them for it. Please let me keep that let why is it a state park to begin with you know like there's something about it that got it designated as a state park please keep the essence of that so that i can come there and enjoy that as well so it it for me it's a bit of a slippery slope uh i thought that was really interesting about myrtle beach i wanted to because you know i couldn't get away with us talking about this without bringing up fort wilderness 
I wanted to grab, this is another comment that came off of uh, the YouTube video and had a bunch of replies to it as well. And someone said, I will only stay at state parks because most of the new RV parks are modern trailer parks with lots of concrete, no shade and high prices just because they have a pool. The only resort I'm willing to stay at now is Fort Wilderness because it feels like a state park with good amenities. Pricing is not the lowest, but lately they've had Florida residents and other discounts. Someone goes on to say we like staying at Fort Wilderness because it lets us pretty much park the truck and use Disney transportation to get around. It's expensive, but when you add in transportation and fuel savings, the price doesn't look bad. This was followed up with another comment. We also like Fort Wilderness. Just being there is a wonderful experience, but it is a unique place with a price to match. One of the few places we will spend that much to camp in quotation marks. Disney has mastered the art of separating people from their money while loving well, the yeah, experience. Here's the deal. like you, you stay at Fort Wilderness because it is... It's Disney, it, it, Fort well, Wilderness. It, it is actually the more affordable camping option in the area, believe it or not. You can stay right outside of the park for cheaper. Yes. But you're paying $20 a day to park in the parks I if think- you don't stay at Fort Wilderness. And you don't have access to all that Disney transportation. It's just easier. And uh, and it just it, it's a better experience. I, I it, But even the Fort Wilderness prices actually sometimes seem like affordable compared to some of these some of these places where i mean you look at buying a spot you know some of the mm-hmm. like in the keys like these fantastic places where you can buy an oceanfront spot uh and it's yours permanently and you're kind of part of an hoa these places where it's just an rv pad yeah. are pushing you know a million and a half in in some areas that's a wild amount of money. By the way, that resort term is a meaningless term. Oh, man. I mean, Talk there are about... a lot of resorts that are dumps, and there are a lot of campgrounds that are are technically resorts. But what's disheartening is when you want to visit an area, you know, you want to go visit Zion National Park, mm-hmm. and you start looking at your camping options. The, par- the, the campgrounds in the park are full. The, the campgrounds outside of the park are going to cost you $150 a night. That's when it starts to get disheartening is that you're not looking for a specific, you just want a place to park to visit Zion. You're not looking for a a resort experience. Well, and a lot of times those campgrounds are also going to be a decent drive into the park. And this is the same with Disney. You're getting like, you're right there. You're maximizing your time. You, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's quality over quantity. Um, in this sense, the quality is that your time is is really being spent doing what you want to do. It's not sitting in traffic. It's not driving 45 minutes. You know, it's not paying for the parking fee every day. It's, it's all of this. Um, one more, and then we probably should wrap this up so this isn't a two-hour episode because I, I could talk about this all day long. Uh, someone wrote, I worry that campgrounds will price out campers and those will choose to boondock and fill up boondocking sites with trash, crowds, noise, and such that boondocking sites will shut down. Yeah, and we're already, we've been seeing tons and tons of that over the last couple of years. And I never understand why there's, there's always this uh, move now to shut down boondocking areas. Uh, there's a lot of that happening. But like this move towards these reserved boondocking spots and stuff. And... I, this is a signal when there's all this boondocking happening to these land operators, whether it's federal or state or whatever, put a campground there, put a, put a campground there with trash and water charge for it. And that will help manage the site. It seems like a no brainer to me. But. I, I would also caution too that 
some of the things that we're seeing with, you know, especially out of the wall near Badlands, that they're going to start uh, designating that off into actual dispersed camping spots, that I wouldn't place all of that always on those who were going to RV resorts, who got priced out and are now trying something different. That isn't always the case. This is, you know, everyone is trying something new and not everyone, even the the most, ex, you know, tent campers, there's state park RVers and however you RV, not everybody is uh, as self-aware as they should be about how to experience the land and how to boondock. And so why, yes, we have been seeing an influx of this and there's so much more in the way of education that we all can be doing again, RV consumer advocacy. Um, I would caution to blame all of this though on those who can no longer afford to go to, say, a KOA or a Jellystone. Okay, well, or I, a you lot know, of the comments on this video, the ones that you kind of just want to not pay attention to are the people who are like, well, if you can afford a $90,000 truck and a, and a, a $70,000 RV, you can afford to stay at these places. <laughs> not everybody is in that category. A lot of people uh, don't have new anything. A lot of people are camping in small pop-ups. A lot of people are tent camping this is not supposed to be something that is is only for people who can really shell out a ton of cash and a lot of people even if they can't afford a rig like that their intention was when they budgeted for that was not that they would be spending all of this money that they you know they might be wanting to camp six months out of the year they weren't intending to spend four thousand dollars a month paying for the camping itself well and some of us started off in converted school buses because that was the most affordable way for us at the time to enter into a world a lifestyle that we were really interested in and that we wanted to be a part of and you know that is a whole other thing we wouldn't have even been welcome into the majority of these resorts to begin with anyway those options of state and federal and city and county and public at an affordable rate were what has allowed us to have seven incredible years of adventures. Yeah, I think when you look at a campground, you know, the people are the that are the heavy campground users are the fifth wheels and the, the expensive motor homes. Mm-hmm. But the majority of RVers, the people actually own RVs out there, 90% are travel trailers, uh, and travel trailers or fifth wheels. But the vast majority of people that own an rv already had the truck it's their personal vehicle at home and they bought a travel trailer for probably under thirty-five thousand dollars. but ultimately and we'll leave it with this i think at the end of the day it is none of my dang business what you spent how you spent it how you do it how you camp what you camp in it's none of my business do you enjoy camping fantastic. We want to make sure it stays affordable and accessible to everyone. And if a giant class A wants to come and sit in a federal campground, public campground for $10 a night, it's more than welcome to do it. And if a pop-up wants to go to a nice RV resort and enjoy a pool, it should be able to do that as well. So, you know, it's again, camping is for all and it needs to remain that way. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to check the level of our tanks. The team at Harvest Host has just launched a great new campground discount program called 
Campers card. For just $39 a year, you'll receive benefits such as early check-in, late checkout, and discounts on nightly camping fees, which will quickly offset the membership cost. Get 15% off your first year of membership with the code MILES, that's M-I-L-E-S. But if you're a current Harvest host or Boondockers Welcome member, you get an even better deal. 25% off your first year of membership. What are you waiting for? Go to camperscard.com to join Campers Card today. All right, welcome back. It is time to check the level of our tanks. Sponsored by Matt's RV Reviews, Liquefied RV Toilet Tank Treatment, the No BS Tank Treatment. You can find it over on our store at amazon.com slash shop slash RV Miles. All right, Jay, what is in your black tank this week? So my black tank is this story about Ford trucks, F-150s in particular, new ones. Uh, there has been this rash of them. There have been thousands of reports of the uh the stereo system just blaring out these loud screeching almost sounds like <laughs> crashing sounds okay. it is really wild where they they it sounds like it's like you've just been in a wreck and it just out of nowhere your stereo system starts making these wild piercing loud sounds why does That's, anyone know? Well, and this is the issue. So Ford has Ford is doing a recall. They're going to do a software patch that should solve the problem for all of these owners. Okay. But they haven't said why this is happening. It's really weird. <laughs> okay. It almost makes no sense why this would be happening. Uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot about audio electronics, but maybe there is some reason that I that I'm not. Uh, clear on, but it seems like there's no specific reason. So, if that's happening to you, there's a there's a recall there's... on your way. But I <laughs> and we're sorry. That was really really wild. <laughs> All right, what is in your fresh tank this week? Uh, my fresh tank. Look, I I love you, Alaska. I love you, Canada. Even the Pacific Northwest. Uh, love you all. Your fuel prices are atrocious, <laughs> and particularly in northern Canada, like up, up in the Yukon Territory, uh, we're, we were paying the equivalent of like $6.50 American per gallon. I think at one point we may have paid close to nine, and we get this not commentary on why it costs so much. And, uh, obviously, get all it that. costs a lot to get fuel up there, Yeah, right? we get I all mean, that. Yeah. This just a fresh tank that when we pulled in here to the Minneapolis area and fuel was like three sixty five. That felt really good. Oh man, that was a that was a happy dance. Yeah, for it, sure. It was, it was quite because you're paying. You know, when you're paying like per liter too in Canada, and you're like not instantly doing the math yourself, and there's mm -hmm. the conversion rate involved and all that sort of stuff. You're not really necessarily thinking about what you're paying yeah and then once you do the math you then you just get you stop doing the math like, you're like, you stop like, doing the math yeah yes. You, yes. you look and you go don't ever don't ever convert don't that for me, me again just, just don't tell me just yeah. just fill it up there's no other way we're getting 3,500 miles underneath us yeah. unless we fill it up so you just do what you got to do all right what's in your black tank this week well we've already talked about it but my black tank is really the timing of us returning to the midwest as it is just scorching it is 101 in the Quad Cities today. I was just talking to our good friend Damien Ross over from, from RV Today and Rootless Living magazine uh, yesterday on the phone, and you know he's down in the Oklahoma area, and it is cooler there than it is up here. Whoa, not wow, by much. Not it's by much. It's about the same. But, but he, he said, I was looking, I was just wondering how far north I'd have to go to get 
to cooler weather. And like, Alaska. It's a long way. <laughs> long way. We can tell you. Alaska. <laughs> so it is, it is a scorcher. This black tank is more commentary on how we are just so good with our timing to make sure that we're as miserable as humanly possible. And that, you know, the Midwest is like, welcome back. Here's 100 degrees yeah. and 100% at, at humidity. We missed you. Up. We're on electric hookups and everything. Yeah. And oh, my gosh. Yeah. If There's no way. We spent the majority of the summer just boondocking. But that is one no, of the issues happening. of living in a very small trailer is where you like to get outside a lot. Mm-hmm. And when it gets really hot, then there's... We don't really have anywhere to sit inside our RV. It's on our beds. You go to the water park. You go to the library. You go to the coffee shop. That's what you do when right, you live What's tiny. in your uh, fresh tank this week? So my fresh tank is a television show that we have been watching with our 16-year-old, our soon-to-be 16-year-old who turned 16 a week from today. And that is uh, The Bear on Hulu. I can't stop thinking about this show. Look, I get it. We're a little behind the times because season two is already out and I'm sure a lot of people have already watched it, but it is not a show that we have been able to watch with our younger ones in the room. Uh, And Jack, our oldest, has really been wanting to watch it. It is critically acclaimed. It is phenomenal. If you don't know what it's about, it follows this chef, this award-winning chef, who returns to Chicago when his brother dies and his brother leaves him this uh, good old Chicago beef restaurant that he's been running and this place is just a hot mess and of course there are a lot of other factors that come into play here surrounding his brother's death um there's a lot of uh insight into some of the toxicity that can be the restaurant industry, especially up at those higher levels, um, those Michelin starred chef restaurants. Um, And it is absolutely fascinating. And it's really digestible episodes, about 25 minutes each. I thought it was going to be a lot darker and a lot more difficult. And it's actually very funny and often heartwarming. Very funny, often heartwarming. I want to caution anyone who uh, has issues with uh, grown-up words, as we like to call them at our house, uh, this is not a show for you. Part of it is like, they get Chicago so right. Oh my gosh. And, and the language is part of it. Like, Listen. You know, but, but you know, we all, we all yeah. watch TV shows that are about our hometown or a town we know well, and they get stuff wrong. You know, they, they have like streets that don't exist or they're running the wrong direction or, <laughs> or they're like in a borough stuff. that's not low that's you're like that's not that borough this is why like, are you in river uh, north uh, pretending uh, like it's andersonville a surprising effort to just really get everything about chicago right and as it's, former chicagoans that really sings to us i think it's a beautiful love letter to the the what is Chicago? The real people of Chicago. When he was just standing out on uh, the beach out on Lake Michigan and he was just looking out there and he was, at, I think he was at like North Beach or something and he's just standing there in the evening and you get kind of the glow of the city behind you. And I just thought that is such a beautiful, brilliant shot that encapsulates so much about this city and how often we all go to the water to look for calm inside such chaos that can be living in a big city. It's a, it's a great show. I I'm loving it. We are very, it's taking a long time. If you don't enjoy mature topics and mature languages, don't watch the show. But if you do, and you want to see a beautiful love letter to Chicago, 
uh, and why we love Chicago as much as we do. And also, I mean, uh, an Italian sausage, a, a dip sandwich is... All right, that's it for this week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. Yes, it is. And as Jason mentioned, we are going to be over on the detour, which is the show after the show, discussing uh, what does it mean to actually be full-timing. And if you are curious about that, well, then just become a Mile Marker member. Your support not only helps what we do at RV Miles be possible, but then you're going to get a ton of extra perks, like subscriptions to RV Today and Rootless Living Magazine, plus several additional bonus podcasts. You can find more at rvmiles.com slash milemarkers. But until then, however you enjoyed this podcast or any of the other content that we create, please do it by staying safe, staying healthy, get out of that heat and don't overheat and keep logging those RV miles. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.